Hey, hey D&D, D&D fam. fam, I'm Quick. And I'm Lee, and you're listening to Divas, Divas and Duckets. So what is a diva? I think divas get a bad rep, but to me, diva is all about the attitude. As for ducats, it's your finances, your assets, Skrilla, Guap, your coin. We're talking all things with the potential to affect your pockets. And while we're attorneys by trade, we are divas by choice. Divas and Duckets is for edutainment purposes. Y'all, we are not Series 511 <laughs> or 703 professionals. This does not create a financial advisor nope, nope. or attorney-client relationship. The views expressed here are solely our opinions and the opinions of our guests. It's just our opinions, y'all. Okay, Divas, let's talk Duckets. Hey, D&D fam. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Link to the Table. I missed you. (laughs) So, on our Diva Docket today, we are talking about dun-dun-dun, the bell toll. So, Mm -hmm. um, as usual, we have a coin-adjacent conversation. A lot of women are prolonging, for various reasons, um, becoming mothers. And that can have financial impacts, both positive and Mm -hmm. negative. And so we wanted to talk with another subject matter expert in her field, um, just talking about some of the pros and cons, both health-wise and financially, to um, having children at what is is medically called, I guess, advanced maternal age. Mm -hmm. Um, so, (laughs) So we wanted to get in to that um especially because this month um is awareness around a lot of the you know gynecological Mm -hmm. cancers and so we wanted to bring awareness to that and just talk through some things right yeah for sure for sure all right so who do we have so we have dr cynthia wesley she actually is a previous guest of ours and one of our Favorite resident yes. doctors. She was on last year. Mm-hmm. If you did not catch that podcast, go back and search. We talked about last year, talked about um, maternal health. It was really getting into um, a lot of the issues that you see with having a non-African-American um, doctor and just, you know, having a lot of your concerns mm-hmm. not really taken seriously. So that was a really, really great episode. And we have brought her back t- this time to talk about advanced maternal age. So, and so before we get yeah. into that, so we got to announce our Black Wealth Summit. Oh, yes. Didn't want to forget. So <laughs> you all, we are hosting a the Black Wealth Summit that is being held in Greenville, South Carolina, mm-hmm. October 1st and 2nd. Um, you can attend virtually or in person. Tickets are available if you go to our link in bio on our Instagram, Divas and Duckets, or our website, divasandduckets.com. You can see that as well as the discount code yes, for a limited so we time. Are super excited to be host of that yes. of the virtual segment of that black wealth summit it's a great opportunity and we hope to see some of our D family there so like she said go into our link in bio you can click and purchase tickets and attend yes so back to the issue right 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 <laughs> so we want to welcome dr wesley say hello to the D family hello family thanks for having me tonight yes we are so excited to have you back so Tell the people that have not heard about mm-hmm. you from our last episode, tell them a little about, about what you do. Well, I'm Dr. Cynthia Wesley, better known as Dr. Sin. I'm a board-certified OBGYN, national speaker, best-selling author, and vulvar skin specialist. Mm-hmm. So that's skin down there, okay? Right. <laughs> I help 
and to understand and maximize the skincare of the vulva. And you guys know I like to call it the private phase. Mm -hmm. Yes. And my objective is for every woman to know that the private phase is just as beautiful as the public phase. Right. I love it. Yes. We, we, <laughs> we love that. Um, and so in your field, mm -hmm. like what, what do you do in your field? Well, I'm an obstetrician gynecologist, okay. right? So I take care of women okay. from every stage of womanhood. Mm -hmm. So only am I performing your annual exams as well as uh, if you have problems with ovarian cysts, fibroids, things of that nature, but I also deliver babies, mm -hmm. right? So I take care of you during pregnancy, during delivery, and also during that very critical postpartum period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with all of my traditional practice, my passion, mm -hmm. passion area is really dealing with the private face. Mm -hmm. yeah. We love that. Good. <laughs> So, in relation to the bell toes, which is what we 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 know the the medical term is is advanced maternal age, which you know that well that's what they always tell women, right? Like you, you're running out of time. You're running out okay. of time. The bell, the bells it. are. It's, mm -hmm. Oh, it's always this this time clock with yes. us, right? right. Um, and so in, in the medical, um, I guess world, what is considered advanced maternal age or a, I guess a geriatric pregnancy? Is that also? You know, that term is out there, geriatric pregnancy. I don't like it. It's kind of rude. Not, <laughs> it is. It is quite disrespectful. Mm -hmm. However, advanced maternal age is 35. Okay. So 35 and older is considered for most advanced maternal age on some research and in some countries they may use 40 mm -hmm. as advanced maternal age and then extreme advanced maternal age would be those you know for some places 45 and other over others 50 and over oh so it's levels there are levels <laughs> there, there are, are levels to this yeah. mm -hmm. okay Okay. Um. And so, what is it about thirty five? Like, what yeah. what what is it about thirty five? Because of course, you know, as women tending at thirty five, we kind of feel like we're starting to just, just get our foot right. We found ourselves. So, right. what is it about our bodies that say nah, sis? Right. Well, I think that you brought up a very important um, feature. Right? Is so much has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Women have evolved. Right. right. So if you even go back to your, your grandmothers and your great grandmothers, they were having kids at ages that now we would be calling child protective services, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. Right. Young, young girls having children at that age, but that's what was normal for them. Mm -hmm. Now you have more and more women who want to prolong um, childbearing for their careers. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to have more financial stability first. Uh, they are prolonging getting married until later in life. So there's a lot of factors as to the why. Right. You see more women that are above the age of 35. But there are real medical issues that may be of concern. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, it's not extreme. Mm -hmm. Now, when you get to 50, things of that nature, that's a different story. And we could touch on that. But because more and more women are actually having children later in right, life. Right. Right. So but you just got to aware of some of the risks that you may be prone to for mm -hmm. example miscarriages okay All right so the older you are the more likely you are to have a miscarriage mm -hmm. also chromosomal mm -hmm. 
disorders, okay? Like, I know you guys heard of Down syndrome, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. As you get older, the risk does increase for that. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, we have testing that we could do. We have uh, cell-free DNA testing that we can do very, very early in the game so you can sleep better at night mm-hmm. during right. pregnancy, knowing that everything looks good. Mm-hmm. Of course, your ultrasounds done throughout your pregnancy looking for anatomical abnormalities. Now, other than disorders that are related to your chromosomes, as you get older, you are at increased risk for some birth defects, mainly heart defects. Okay. Okay. Once again, you'll get ultrasounds just to make sure everything continues to look good. You're at increased risk for high blood pressure, Mm. uh, even preeclampsia. You're at increased risk for diabetes. Now, some of that is simply related to the fact that your body odor. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Period. So you're more likely to see a woman not pregnant, more likely to see her with hypertension or even prediabetes at 40 than you are for that same group of women when they were 25. Right. right? Absolutely. Right? So mm-hmm. there's natural changes to the body related to pregnancy you then have to deal with during pregnancy mm-hmm, right right but even if you don't already have those conditions there are increased risks once you're over the age of 35 ectopic pregnancies mm-hmm. there's a higher ectopic pregnancies all right women who are above the age of 35 may see an increased risk for c-section mm-hmm. studies have shown that they're at increased risk for postpartum hemorrhage now I think when you look at those studies, that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, you're 40, so you're going to bleed a lot. Right. When you think about it, when you, the majority of women who are 40, they've already had a whole lot of babies, right? Mm -hmm. So some of that is just related to what we call a a grandma parity person, right? Where they've had lots of babies. So that uterus has been expanded and collapsed multiple times and that's what increases their risk for mm. heavy after delivery so you can't throw the woman who's never had a baby in right same. yeah then pregnant you can't really throw her into that group got you and so you mentioned within those risks just things about you know we're we're prolonging right so what are some of those measures that women can um take in terms of if they're looking to I guess preserve fertility because unlike men who can pretty much procreate forever you know (laughs) women don't have that ability right and there's still that pressure of although society is changing biology is not so what are some of the things that that women can be doing to kind of preserve that if they're not quite at that point right well first in general holistically you need to try to be as healthy as possible Okay. Okay. That's very, very important. Um, you know, when you're battling obesity, hypertension, diabetes, it's just going to make the process of getting pregnant so much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And then for pregnancy, even more high risk than the average woman, 35 and older. Okay? Right. Uh, but you can freeze your eggs. Mm-hmm. Right? So that is an option. I wish more women would consider it mm-hmm. because... You know, we're waiting later and later and you don't, and there's two different ways that uh, it could be done. Okay. Okay. So we can just freeze the egg itself, Mm -hmm. where it's just your egg and we don't have a mate yet. Right. Okay. Maybe you got a mate, but 
you not too sure, sure about them. <laughs> and so you just want to freeze your eggs. So mm-hmm. that's an option. And then it's also an option to freeze embryos, mm-hmm. okay, where maybe you're married and you guys just know you're not quite ready yet. You have some financial goals that you would like to achieve first. Right. And so you can freeze embryos as well. Okay. And so yeah. embryos just for their fertilized eggs. There it is. Okay. Right. Okay. So we just took the egg, we took the sperm, we put them together. Mm-hmm. When it gets to a certain stage, we we remove it. We well, we freeze it, mm-hmm. and then when you're ready. We thaw it out, okay. and we put it back in. Got you. Okay. Right. And so, is there a with doing that? Because you said you could do it two ways essentially. That's right. Is there an optimal age to do one versus the other, or does it really matter? Well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, age-wise, one or the other okay. in general. Okay. okay. We do know that um, with using an embryo, we have way more success. Got you. Than just using the egg or the oocyte. Okay. okay. So that is known. Studies have shown that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as women who maybe don't have a partner, but they really want to preserve their fertility the optimal timing for that is between age 30 and 37. Okay. Got okay. Because our eggs get old too. Mm-hmm. Okay. They get old too. So when you really want to make sure you have some healthy eggs, mm-hmm. 30 37 is the most optimal time. But women older than that do very well with uh, freezing the eggs. Got you. And so just, I guess, kind of getting into the financial piece of it. So if a person did decide to freeze an embryo first, is that in essence, since it's a fertilized egg, is that in essence freezing a baby? I guess guess it would depend on who you're talking to. Well, you know, that's the whole debate in America. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of times that can lead to a lot of legal issues when the two people separate. Right, that's where I was going. Yeah, that can be an issue. So one of the things that's being done now is they are freezing oocytes and embryos at the same time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let's say that the relationship um, doesn't last and the woman still wants to use her eggs. Mm-hmm. Right. It still has some oocytes there because they can just retrieve. They're retrieving all at the same time anyway. Okay. Right. right. And then they are fertilizing the egg in the Petri dish. So they just keep some that they don't fertilize and the others that they do. Okay. Got a little hybrid option. Yeah, that, that's exactly right where I was going to go. Like, people be splitting up all the time. How do how they decide they're going to keep this embryo? I mean. But, but that can be a major legal issue, yeah. right? Yeah. And if the couple breaks apart, here they have this embryo that's 50-50, mm-hmm. right? It took both of them to make it. Mm-hmm. But what if they don't agree with what to do with the right. embryo? Right. Who get to keep right? the dog? I mean, it's not so right. those are right. things that really needed to be need to be discussed and put in writing on the front end. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Put yes. that in the prenup. <laughs> I'm not doing this with you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so you you were talking about, you know, the the risk factors and studies in terms of, you know, advanced maternal age. And so I know in our, like, healthcare bias, we really got into mm-hmm. fibroids because it affects a lot of women of color. Um, yes. And we kind of talked a little bit about, like, you know, my experience, PCOS, and I think it's becoming more common for women to also have PCOS. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the, I guess, um, 
implications, I guess, with fertility for those who may be diagnosed with PCOS or um, some of the, I don't know if you want to call them risk factors with that situation? Like, how does that interplay with fertility? Okay. So we'll do PCOS first because the risks are a little bit different. Okay. PCOS, the biggest risk factor is getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some women with PCOS have difficulty with ovulating. Mm-hmm. Right. But once they're pregnant, they should be fine. Okay. okay? It's getting pregnant with the PCOS. Mm-hmm. Now with fibroids, fibroids does not affect your ability to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Okay. It may affect your ability to stay pregnant. Okay. Right? That's the difference between the two. Now, with fibroids, sometimes it depends on the location of the fibroids. If you have a fibroid in the lining of the uterus, then it can affect implantation. Mm. All right? Because, you know, the egg gets released, the sperm goes up, try to fertilize the egg, it comes down the tube and into the uterus, implants, and mm-hmm. then grows. Right. Well, it implants on a fibroid. There's not enough nourishment there for for that fertilized egg and your risk for miscarriage is increased. Mm -hmm. Also, fibroids can increase your risk for preterm labor. Okay. Because of location, things of that nature. Sometimes they increase your risk for C-section. Women can have degenerating fibroids during pregnancy, which can cause a lot of pain. So there's quite a few issues during pregnancy that you can have with fibroids, but the majority of women do quite well. Okay. Okay. So you um, said degenerating fibroids. What is that? What is? I apologize. Degenerating is a a situation when the fibroid is breaking down and dying. Okay. So they can degenerate and die. Um, They can regrow as well. Right. Right. through that process of breaking down, it's an inflammatory process and it can be very, very painful. Mm. Okay. Okay. So then what I'm hearing is, it's basically opposite times of the, of the pregnancy. So PCOS is more like getting there or getting pregnant. And then I guess fibroids, more of the risk is staying pregnant for lack there, of other words. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the best way to look at it. Got you. Okay. And so I, I don't, if you care to speak to it, but, um, you know, often I think women just in just the dynamics of change, you know, we often decide to have children later, to have children later because of stability, mm-hmm. career, you yeah. know, we often hear about that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of the, I've heard the older generation, I'll say that says you can't have both, right. You can't, you can't, drive your career up and you know have the kids so you got to choose right but then when you choose you you you, there are risks to to both right Mm -hmm. um and so for me I know I had my son when I was 32 so just shy of advanced maternal age you know but um still had to watch for the uh blood pressure issues and all of those things um so in your your personal experience did you were you did you have children or have a child at advanced maternal age? How did that affect you personally? I did. So um, I had my, I conceived my daughter at 43. Okay. Had her at 43. Was very blessed that uh, we only tried for two months. I did not require any uh, assistance with that. 
And uh, during my pregnancy, I didn't, I did not experience any elevated blood pressures, diabetes, anything of that nature. I went into labor at home at 39 weeks, got to the hospital, 89 centimeters dilated. Um, so everything was great, right. but then mm-hmm. I ended up with a C-section because her heart rate, you know, mm-hmm. dropped yeah. because it went back up. And of course me as an OBGYN, of course I'm going to end up with a C-section, right? <laughs> yes. But for me, um, the benefit or the reason for waiting is that, you know, I wanted to do everything in order for Mm -hmm. the most part. And um, I had the stability Mm -hmm. at 43 financially, right? right? Mm -hmm. And for me, it didn't matter if my relationship worked or not from a financial perspective. Mm -hmm. Right. I knew I could hold my own. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... I got to a point in my career too, where I was done making sacrifices for everyone else. Mm. I was ready to fulfill a lot of my dreams mm-hmm. right? and motherhood is definitely one of them. So, um, there are pluses and minuses, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, way in retrospect, because I love my daughter so much, enjoy her so much. Had I had her at an earlier age, I probably would have more. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but at this age, I'm about one and done. <laughs> done. done. <laughs> yes. But, right. But yeah. had I had her earlier, I definitely mm-hmm. would have having um, more children. But just for me, I was at peace with my, uh, the financial stability made a- handling all the other stressors yep. a lot easier. And that was just for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really, first of all, it's really good to point out that, like, she's, I mean, she was 43, and it was like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it pretty smooth good. pregnancy. Yeah. It was just like, oh, okay, I went in at 30 weeks, 39 weeks, right on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and even the labor, like, you know, she's pretty much ready. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really, I think, refreshing it's to hear because a lot sure. of times you hear, especially if you're close to 35 or right at that line, you hear all the bad things, right? Like, oh, they have difficult pregnancies or blah, blah, blah. And so I just think that is really awesome to hear um, mm-hmm. and, and good for women to know that just because there's a chance, I mean, you know, it could rain tomorrow. Exactly. And, and women do well. The majority of women do very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to understand that the risks are higher and we're going to watch you a little closer right. you know, when you get further along. Technically, women over the age of 35, your risk for stillbirth is slightly higher than the general population, mm-hmm. okay? Women younger than the age of 35. Right. So they may do NSTs on you or put you on a monitor, I guess I should say, weekly or twice a week, depending on if you got other issues going on. Some docs elect to deliver you at 39 weeks. Some will wait till 40, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just important to know what the risks are because I feel that all patients should have the opportunity to make informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Everything. And as mm-hmm. a provider, my job is just to give you the information. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, with the information, is it any difference, you know, advanced maternal age or younger that woman is carrying? Is there things that she should be looking for when she's advanced maternal age, like feeling a cramp or something that she would feel at 39 might be different than someone that feels it at 29 or just like paying attention to extra things, you know, because I think a lot of that could be mental and our, you know, minds can play tricks on us too. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you just need to make sure you go in and get checked. 
Mm-hmm. Very true. So, you know, um, we already stated that you're at increased risk for high blood pressure mm-hmm. for AMSIO, you know, for even for diabetes. So if I tell all women, if you're developed, especially women of color, right? Because right. your is already higher for those things. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you add advanced maternal age on top of it, you know, you need to pay attention. So if you develop any headaches, any visual changes, chest pain, shortness of breath, feeling like, well, you know, I'm just a little bit more winded than what I think I should be walking up these steps. Please go in and be evaluated. Mm -hmm. Make sure that everything is okay. Mm -hmm. And the big thing with advanced maternal age is those kick counts. Okay. Make sure that you're feeling the baby move. If you're not feeling the baby move, get something to eat, drink something really cold. And if you're still not feeling good movement, do not wait. You do not have to call your doctor and ask for permission. You're just going into the hospital or to the office to be seen. It's good to know. It is good information. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the times when we talk about, you know, having kids older, mm-hmm. we always think about it from the parent perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is we are having kids. There's a child coming into an older parent. You know, we. I think a lot of times we joke about the graduation. Oh, you're going to be have the 65-year-old parent that's at the graduation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you and know, <laughs> there are some downsides to having children older, you know, to the mm-hmm. child itself. And I think one of the biggest ones that I think about is like when we think about ourselves at 40, 45, 50, we, you know, and if those that are blessed still have their moms, I still need my mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But for a child that's coming in and they're 50, they might in 20 years, you know, when they're 20 years old and 18, just getting ready to join into the world, you know, they might have a 65, 70 year old parent. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they're blessed and with our, I guess lack of ability to really hone in onto our health mm-hmm. um, and not taking care of ourselves as good as we should be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a really high chance that the older parent might not be around, you know, or you lose your parents yeah. at a young age. And I think, yeah. um, so how, like, how do you feel when it comes to that? Like, do you feel like that's cause I've heard like that's, that's selfish. Like, why would you want to do that? Um, oh, that's okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> selfish. selfish. Mm-hmm. It depends on how long you plan on living, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, first of all, there are studies that have shown that children born to mothers who are 35 and older actually do better developmentally during those first five years. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because older moms have more patience, you know, they have really? more. That's true. Um, I, see, I can see that. Uh, increase really? the. <laughs> handle emotions Mm -hmm. you know things Mm -hmm. of that nature so children do better the Mm -hmm. studies during those first five years Mm -hmm. now what i think you hit on is is very real it's something that i think about all the time and as a mother who was advanced maternal age i feel like it's our responsibility to really try to be as healthy as possible right right for the sake of our children Mm -hmm. and for natural perspective we really have to be aggressive with putting things in place oh yeah to ensure financial stability for them right if something happens to us mm-hmm. you know it's so different than when you're having a child at 20 mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. yeah you have to be more aggressive on the front end right 
Right. And I think to the second point, I mean, shameless plug, please go back and listen to the insurance and the estate mm-hmm. planning episodes because those are the keys, right, for what you're saying when you say be aggressive mm-hmm. about yes. planning for that child. Those are the things that are going to build, you know, we, I think it's a sexy term now that generational wealth, but those yes. are the keys to doing that, life insurance and, and you know, having everything in place so that if and when something happens, that child and your family can the only thing they have to worry about is grieving not how are we going to pay for this how are we going to do that especially if they're going to be younger you know it's one i think it's one thing to um there's always risk you know we know that there's always risk a 20 year old 25 year old parent could have a child pass away you know we know that but the reality is when you have a child older there's more of an expectation and a likelihood right. that that's going to happen, right? So mm-hmm. um, financially, I just think is if if that's your choice to mm-hmm. make, you know, in to to have children older, at least take those like you said, take those proactive steps and aggressive steps mm-hmm. to make yeah. sure that they will be okay. Like mm-hmm. to make sure that if that like you said that that the least thing that they would have to worry about is the emotional grieving, right? And you also have to take those aggressive steps in in making sure that you foster a village. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Where they're emotionally not solely dependent on you. Right. 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 It's very important to have, at any age, mm-hmm. right? For a mother for any age, because we don't know what the future holds. Right. Mm-hmm. It's important to create that village where your child has more than one person mm-hmm. to go to for support oh yeah i think that's so important that's a really good point yeah but to challenge the statement of selfish like Mm -hmm. and not to get you know i can get petty but (laughs) i think at the end of the day there's a take it's give and take right Mm -hmm. so to me if you're having a child and you're older and for these reasons that we've discussed whether it's financial stability whether it's some people are traditional they want to be married they want a two-parent home what have you i think there are benefits and cons to both so if you're going to say oh it's selfish then well why isn't it selfish if you have a kid and you're not financially prepared you know so i just think yeah yeah, to i don't uh -uh, i don't like it (laughs) (laughs) i agree with you lee totally (laughs) you know um, others cannot put their expectations mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. other women. You don't know what's in her heart. Right. You don't know her story. Right. Most importantly, you know, you don't know her story. So, um, you know, we just need to try to support all women, regardless yes. of their situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, we're talking about fertility, right? So we don't know if that woman has wanted children or been right. having issues conceiving yeah. or issues carrying. Yeah. So right. I think because there is a strong presumption that if a woman has a child older, that she could have had it younger. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. One thousand percent. Mm-hmm. No one mm-hmm. ever thinks about the fact that she could have been going through that journey like for a 10 journey. years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So important. So are we going to shift to awareness? Yes. Okay. Let's shift to the awareness <laughs> <line>. <laughs> so it is gynecological. You know, I have to break that uh-huh. down. Big awareness. <laughs> right. <laughs> You move that mouth. Um, And so we wanted to address some of the issues surrounding um, 
I guess like cervical mm-hmm. and ovarian cancer, right? And so I guess to start, maybe what are the screenings if they exist for both types of cancer? Well, most people know about cervical screen, cervical cancer screening, which mm-hmm. is the pap smear, mm-hmm. as well as HPV testing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, um, you know, it's always changing as far as what the guidelines are. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's very important to stay on top of, of the testing. And it's important, too, I, I just can't say this enough. Even if your pap smear, your HPV was normal last year, you need a pelvic exam every single year. Mm. Okay? Every year you should get a pelvic exam. There technically is not a screening test for ovarian cancer. Mm. Okay, You know how we catch ovarian or how we want to catch it? Mm. is by doing a pelvic exam on you. Mm. And if that ovary feels enlarged, we get an ultrasound to see what's going on. We don't want to wait until you come in with your belly extended, until you come in with severe pain or you just can't eat anymore. Then you're likely at advanced disease. That's why ovarian cancer is called the silent killer. Mm. Because early in the game, you really don't have symptoms, right? right? So just because that pap smear is normal does not mean, and you know, you can wait three or five years. You still need to see someone every year, especially if you're sexually active. And I can't say it enough for my elderly ladies. Okay. Still get that exam every single year. Mm -hmm. Now, is there, um, I know you're not an oncologist because you mentioned like the elderly ladies. Is there like a thought that maybe those cancers aren't, like they're no longer at risk or is there a well, reason you're seeing like the, the thing is that you know once you're over the age of 65 and you've had you know three consecutive negative pap smears no recent history of you know bad pap smears mm-hmm. and all these tests have been done in you know the past 10 years you don't have to get pap smears anymore mm. but too many people equate pap smear to pelvic exam yes and uh, more I did. to a pelvic exam than a pap smear mm-hmm. you know what i mean Mm. elderly women get vaginal cancer mm. you want to wait until it's gone from that the inside to the outside or do you want to wait until you're bleeding and then like why am i bleeding i'm postmenopausal before it's diagnosed right so if you're getting that exam every year we would know also it's a time for you to have those sometimes not quite comfortable conversations with your provider you know are you irritated down there? Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't answer, but you know, you need a moisturizer to help with the irritation. We want to treat it early before it gets bad. Right. You know, because even when it comes to the intimate area, it's all about preventative medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so to, to back up, because I, I, I honestly will say when you said a pelvic exam, that's all I thought was past me. Yeah. Um, well, most women do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can you elaborate on that a little bit? So, you know, when you go in for your annual exam, you're like, it's time for me to get that pap smear. You know, they usually are listening to your heart, lungs, all that, did your breast exam, you know, felt your belly. And then when they go down to the pelvic exam, they look on the outside, they slide the speculum in, they use a little brush to get Mm -hmm. a collection. Once they take that speculum out, they're doing an exam with their hands. 
months. Okay. okay. So when we do all that, we're looking for a multitude of things, right? So we're looking on the outside to make sure that the vulva, that's your external genitalia, looks normal, that we don't see any bumps or lesions, okay? That could be maybe a, a um, non-cancerous type of disease or maybe even cancer, mm -hmm. okay? Because women can get vulvar cancers as well. Mm -hmm. When we put that speculum in, of course, we're collecting a pap smear. We're using that brush to swab your cervix, but we're looking at the vagina, making sure we don't see any lesions, making sure it's not super dry, and maybe we need to give you some type of moisturizer, you know, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. When we do that exam with our hands, we're filling your uterus, making sure it doesn't feel enlarged, and we're filling your, what we call atnexa, that's your tubes and ovaries, okay? Making sure that they feel normal as well. All that pressure you feeling, that's I was like, y'all could feel a lot of <laughs> All that pushing. <laughs> yeah, we're pushing for a reason. We're pushing for a reason. <laughs> it's a lot happening. Now you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so if you do... Um, Fortunately, you know, get uh, one of the cancers that you mentioned because there were a lot that you just mentioned: vaginal, vulvar, mm -hmm. cervical, ovarian. Ov that's a lot of cancers that can go on down you there. Yeah. Um, I know early detection is the key, obviously, to any cancer. Mm -hmm. um, but what you know, what are the success rates for treatment? How first, how is it treated? Is it treated the same way that breast cancer will be with the like um, radiology chemo and, and chemo, yeah. or how is it treated? It, it depends on the cancer okay and it depends on the stage mm -hmm. okay so like early cervical cancer sometimes depending on you know if the woman has children or not all those things if we catch it like carcinoma in situ sometimes they can just have what we call a cone biopsy where you're just cutting a cone mm -hmm. out of the cervix mm -hmm. sometimes a simple hysterectomy fix fixes the problem. Mm -hmm. Even for early stage uh, uterine cancer or endometrial cancer, uh, hysterectomy may be enough. Mm -hmm. This really depends on the stage. Sometimes with um, a vulvar or vaginal cancer, if it's caught early, women may only need what we call a wide local excision. All right, so we cut it out, but we make sure we cut a, a portion large enough around it that there's not microscopic spread, mm. right? Now, women who are in later uh, uh, later stages may need a lot more. They may even need radiation to the pelvic area, and that's not fun at all. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they need extensive surgery, which can require removal, not just of the female organs, the bladder can be involved, the bowel can be involved. It could be very, very extensive. Right. Yeah, so they may have chemo, radiation. It all depends on the type of cancer and the state. Got you, got you. And is there, um, if once they do the procedure, regardless of the stage, is there a, a likelihood of recurrence at the way it is with breast cancer? It depends on the type of cancer and okay. the stage, okay. but and uh, what the risk of recurrence is. And for each type of cancer, it can be very, very different. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, if you know, because again, I know you're, you know, on the other side of things, mm -hmm. though you might be the first point of like, hmm, may need to go get that check. Right. Um, if you're aware, like, what are maybe like the success rates if you're, you know, 
detected early um, for some of those types of cancer? Well, like, for example, for uh, cervical, it's very, very high, okay. you know? So what we look at is like what we call like five-year survival rates. Mm-hmm. And so for some, when you catch them super early, you're talking about 90, 95%, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a uh, stage one endometrial cancer, right? So it's just in that lining and we do a hysterectomy, those women tend not to have problems anymore. Right. It's all about catching early disease. Right, right, got you. And so one of the things, like it always just really rubbed me wrong. And so I just was like, okay, let me just get someone to explain this. I was told um, at the doctor, I guess, I don't know if it's an insurance thing or what, Mm. but if you've had a normal pap smear, they used to do it just every year. And now they're saying like, oh, you're fine for three years or what have you. And again, please correct me because this is what I was told and I just want to make sure we're not getting false information. (laughs) So it was explained to me because I guess cervical cancer is slow growing that they don't feel that you're at risk or as a, as much risk with normal PAPs to wait three years. So what is the thought behind now making it so that we're, we're waiting three years between these? Okay. Well, um, just so you know, the guidelines have even changed for some women where it's now five years mm-hmm. you can wait. Okay. So <clears throat> you're right. We used to do pap smears as soon as you became sexually active or 18, mm-hmm. whichever came first. Right? right. And, um, as we did more and more and more paps, women, they come back abnormal. Women were ended up with elite procedures and, you know, different things, cryo to treat the problems or mild disease. All mm-hmm. right. So let me explain that real quick. So when we do a pap smear, if it's abnormal, sometimes women just have what we call cervical dysplasia, okay? okay. Or they may say to you precancerous cells. Mm-hmm. With those, it could be mild, moderate, or severe. You may hear the words low grade, moderate grade, high grade. The gist is the higher the grade, the more likely that can turn into a cancer down the road, mm-hmm. okay? So you had all these women coming back with, you know, mild or moderate dysplasia. We're leaping them, we're doing this, we're doing that. Subsequently, they're having problems with cervical incompetence when they're pregnant, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All these different things. And once we had all this data and we're able to look at it, we realized that we're doing a lot of procedures on young girls. Mm-hmm. And they're, the likelihood for this maldysplasia to turn into a cervical cancer within the next few years is extremely low, okay. right? We even know that 60% of maldysplasia has a chance of going away on its own without us doing anything at all, mm. right? The other thing that we learned is all of this is tied back to HPV or the human papilloma virus, okay. right? And in order to develop dysplasia or even cervical cancer, you got to have high-risk HPV in your system. Okay. Now, I'll just leave it at that because that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but we want to talk about HPV. But when we do coat testing, we know that pap smear is normal and your high-risk HPV is normal. We feel very comfortable that within the next three years, you're not going to have a cancer. Okay. So that has been why it's been pushed out. Mm -hmm. And now it's being pushed out even further. Now, some women have concerns about, you know, doing a pap smear every five years, 
even if you're getting that exam every year, don't forget that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally feel, and it's just my opinion that for women of color, there needs to be more studies done on us Mm -hmm. because of the aggressiveness in, in cancers in us. Mm -hmm. And, um, if a woman of color sees me and wants to have her pap smear done, Prior to five years, I have no problem doing it. And I haven't seen any insurance companies not paying for it. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is, is it really an insurance issue? I mean. But that's good that they have it. Not that I've seen. Yeah. So it's really not an insurance issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Check ahead to confirm that they'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. Thus far, from what I've seen, they have. Okay, and that's good. Yeah. And I'm like, even if they don't, if you feel if that makes you feel more comfortable, yeah. then consider then ask, ask up, speak you up. know, yeah, for right. Sure. And the and the average, the majority of providers are going to be perfectly okay with going ahead and doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, are there any like, I mean, aside from food <laughs> and the things that's in our food, um, are there any contributing factors to to the to the types of cancers that you name, I know you mentioned HPV, which, yeah. um, if I speak out of turn, is it, it is an STD, right? Or well, no? See, I told you we could do a whole okay. talk on HPV. There, there we go. Can you acquire HPV from having sex? Yes. Okay. Okay. But we don't know all the details around HPV. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. If you walked into Walmart right now, 80% of women in Walmart right now will have HPV in their system sometime in their life. So is that really fair to call an STD? Now, is that different from Target? Are we... <laughs> <laughs> Not Walmart versus Target. I'll just Not say different. it. They in Target, too. <laughs> okay, let's move along. <laughs> in Target. Okay. So, Interesting. you know, and there are nuns out there with both cervical cancer and high-risk HPV. So we don't know all the details about it. Mm-hmm. You know that you can acquire it from having sex. Mm-hmm. Okay. But because we don't know all the details, I don't like to call it STD. Fair enough. Because it, excuse me, it makes women feel uncomfortable. Right. It makes them feel dirty mm. and fair. Got you. And yes. that's all the more reason why we need to really have <clears throat> our young girls and boys vaccinated. Mm hmm. Yeah, they have the, um, I was, used to see the commercials for the HPV. It was like a shot or something. So boys Garden. can get it too. From <clears throat> Those are the little vectors running around. <laughs> a vector. <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> team, team boys. Running um, around. <laughs> are there other additional contributing factors? I'm not, like I said, I know you mentioned HPV with the ovarian. Are there other <laughs> contributing factors, other STDs maybe, um, that contribute to? Oh, so cervical cancer is associated with high-risk HPV, not low-risk HPV. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So not really with other STDs. Okay. Okay. Um, now, Having STDs means that you had unprotected sex and therefore more exposure likely to high-risk HPV. Gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you are immunocompromised, for example, someone with HIV, then 
you are more likely to have aggressive disease if you develop dysplasia, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Got you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm, when you, so when you mentioned ovarian cancer, you said it was like a silent killer, um, mm-hmm. because you know early symptoms are not are not there. They're just right. you know. Um, are there symptoms um, of cancer or things that a person can look for signs? Because, you know, of course, in the breast, they tell you the lump, you go get your checks. Um, you can do your self-checks at home. I don't necessarily know if there are sex checks for the other cancers. Are there things a woman can look for? Well, every woman should be looking at her private face. You should. Say at that again. a absolute bare minimum once a month. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. There, you can develop bumps down there that are not tender, but could be abnormal. Mm-hmm. Okay, you need to know what you look like and be very comfortable with you. And the more comfortable you are with your private face, the more comfortable you will be talking to your provider, mm-hmm. seeking help if you need help, asking questions if you're just not sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So that women should definitely be doing that. Uh, women should, if if uh, they notice a discharge, that's abnormal. Because some cancers present with a discharge. Mm-hmm. Okay, they should have that discharge evaluated. Mm-hmm. Even if it's a watery discharge, especially in um, our older women, if they are noticing a watery discharge and they're like, "Okay, this is not normal for me," that's one um, one of the um, signs sometimes of cancer of your tubes of the flow mm. okay so they want to make sure that they go in to be evaluated if they're having those symptoms of course any woman with postmenopausal bleeding even if it's just spotting mm-hmm. cancer must be ruled out mm-hmm. okay because almost all of them <laughs> you can have postmenopausal bleeding mm-hmm. so very important to do. Women who are not postmenopausal, if you have abnormal bleeding, get it checked out and just make sure that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Women can sometimes have an endometrial cancer. They're not postmenopausal, but that bleeding is abnormal. They just don't stop bleeding. So your provider may do an ultrasound, may do an endometrial biopsy, things of that nature. Yeah. And I think it's so important because I. <laughs> I have had conversations with people. I think women, especially depending on how you're socialized, right? Depending on what family you come from. It's just so taboo to talk about your vulva and vagina. And so I think, you know, I've even had conversations like, so you don't look at it? You never just Hmm. take a little mirror and know? Some of them never seen it. And so I, you know, Dr. Sin said it very professionally. But I just can't say all, all WAP ain't normal. So just know what you're, you need to know. You need to know what your, what it looks like, what it usually smells like. What's your, what's your discharge usually. So it's, it's really important to get to know yourself. Yeah. If your weight, if you're losing weight unexpectedly, Mm -hmm. that's a concern. You Mm -hmm. always want to make sure that's evaluated. Um, If you lose your appetite and you just early cessation, you can't eat much. Uh, super tired all the time. You always want to make sure that you're going in to be seen. Yep. So important. Yes, it is. Well, we have appreciated, as always, you've given yes. us this wealth of 
pre-information. Okay. okay. <laughs> there was no foul photo that needed to be pulled. They're not no going to send no clock. bill to your insurance. <laughs> okay. This wealth of information. We appreciate you, Dr. Wesley. So let's talk about you. Where can they find you? Well, I am on all forms of social media at Dr. Sin, O-B-G-Y-N. That's D-R-C-Y-N. OBGYN. Mm-hmm. I have some big things happening yes. within a couple of months. My book will be dropping within a month from now. And I have a product line for intimate wellness and beauty for dark skin. Mm-hmm. It's called Beauty Below. Ooh. And if women want to sign up to be the first to know about launches and all that good stuff, discounts, everything okay. else, you can go to Beauty Below MD and put in your name and your email and you'll be notified about everything i'm so excited about that so it is so needed especially like when you go into the stores those products do not look like they are for us by us so it is so needed so 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 yes because we have um a a different set of issues Mm -hmm. that we deal with all women uh struggle with the negative connotations that are tied to the vulva and the vagina, right? That's all women Mm -hmm. across the globe. Mm -hmm. And struggling with this for years. And we're finally starting, just starting to get to a point where we're starting to talk about it, Mm -hmm. right? And women are starting to get comfortable with pampering their private face. Mm -hmm. Right. Women of color have additional issues you know with the coarseness of your hair you're more prone for ingrown hairs in that area women of color are more prone for hydrotinitis suppurativa we could talk about that at another time Uh, hyperpigmentation where you do get a bump then it's dark for like the next six nine months down there seven years (laughs) right and then we had this whole um issue of the historical wrongs Mm-hmm. right yeah. that have been done to our ancestors mm-hmm. and the role that that has played on our self-confidence mm-hmm. as black women on our freedom to be fully comfortable with our female sexuality yeah right and my goal is for every woman of color to have what i like to call black vagina confidence okay right and so it's going to be a movement. Yeah, it is. And I want every woman not just to enjoy the products and to beautify themselves. I want them to be well. I yes. want them to be knowledgeable. And when you know your body, then you have steward, true stewardship over your body. Right. Amen. And so we were going to have all of that information in mm-hmm. our episode notes for all your BVC needs. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not the BVC needs. You know? <laughs> so yeah. thank you again for being here. We, you know, we tend to have folks back as the topics come up. Yeah. So we are sure we will have to see you again. Mm-hmm. Um, quick, do you have anything? I don't. I'm just super, super excited about your product line. I know mm-hmm. that um, I think a lot of women don't even think about the things that they use, especially with like body washes and how that can affect um, your scent, right? And and how it really can change. Um, how do you say a scent? It change. What does it change? Your flora. Yeah, it changes your flora and your scent. But you know, in in 
you know, just the, I was going to say DNA, but it's not the DNA. I know that's not the right words <laughs> for it. But it literally has a, a, a chemical imbalance, right? It, mm. it doesn't pack that. So, yeah. yeah. And your microflora. And, you know, in my book, and that's called Beauty Below as well. Yes, I like it. Be consistent. To, like I said, a guide to uh, intimate wellness beauty for dark skin. I do a whole segment on black women and bacterial vaginas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because black women are like three times more likely to have it. And so how does that make you feel? Right. It makes you feel like, you know, you're not as clean or you're doing something wrong or what's wrong with my body. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the case. Right. So I dive deep into that in the book and help women really understand how to keep it away. Yeah. Right. So I'll, you, I'll, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and allowing me to share my passion. Yeah. Yes. We're super excited. Like appreciate. Lisa, we will definitely have that information mm-hmm. this is not a book or a product that you don't want to right and especially yeah. for the young girls because i'm gonna just say i used to tear mine up with that bath and body works so i'm just yeah. gonna be honest it yeah. just you felt like it should smell like cherries so, yeah. so you know. <laughs> um, definitely have that product you know on our youtube we'll have mm-hmm. it linked below we'll have it on our podcast when you go to our website we'll have all that information so you could just click link and go and sign up for her pre-sale so Thank you, Dr. Wesley, for coming back on and sharing all this information again with the D&D family. And yes. we look forward Thank to speaking you. with you again. All right. I love speaking with you guys. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. All right, D&D fam, you can continue to follow us, Facebook and Instagram, we're Divas and Duckets, www.divasandduckets.com. Subscribe to YouTube. You're watching. I don't know why you haven't subscribed by now. <laughs> and so right. we will be back in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, in between time. Have a great attitude. Bye. Bye.